Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hodum with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? The center of the golf universe returns to the Augusta National Golf Club for the next two weeks with the Augusta National Women's Amateur this Wednesday and Thursday on Golf Channel and Peacock, a practice round Friday, and then the final round Saturday, April 1st at noon Eastern on NBC and Peacock. Next week, the PGA Tour and Live Golf Players will participate in the year's first major. NBC Sports will surround the ESPN and CBS presentation with Golf Central Live from the Masters on Golf Channel, beginning Monday, April 3rd at 2 p.m. Eastern through Sunday, April 9th. Golf Channel and Peacock Studio will be live for 55 hours with nearly 20 hosts, analysts, and reporters. Host Rich Lerner and analyst Brandel Chambly and Nota Begay III previewed the fortnight. Begay highlighted the current drama of the two men's tours and then credits Augusta National for its golf-growing initiatives. From a general competitive context, I'm just very much looking forward to comparing apples to apples in terms of live players and PGA Tour players. You know, I've, I've been out there the last few weeks covering the PGA Tour on the ground, watching, um, you know, these events come down to the very end and just seeing how sharp and competitive and how much these things, these events and, and winning the tournaments means means to the players. And there's no question that there'll be a element of sharpness to their game as they, they head to Augusta. Um, question marks around whether or not that same level of sharpness will be uh, available to the live players, just not having played as much competitive golf um, at the highest level against the best players um, as the guys on the PGA Tour. I think that's going to be something that I will be taking a direct look at. But in the broader context, I think that I've always um, been intrigued by just Augusta National in general, their influence on the game. We're starting with Anwa this week, and then we'll head into drive, chip, and putt. And you talk about the Latin American Amateur Championship, the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, just what they've singularly done, um, not being one of sort of the official governing bodies in our sport, but sort of a de facto governing body and how they've really utilized their platform and their reach and the influence of the Masters and its brand to grow golf. I think it's, it's remarkable. Um, I think that, um, you know, these young amateur uh, golfers, uh, female golfers that have a chance to come play here. Um, it is a dream come true. And I think it's something that is going to do great things in a sector of our sport that needs some attention. Uh, the growth in the ladies part of the game isn't, I think, commensurate with other, other areas of the industry. And I just think Augusta's done probably more so than any other organization in golf to to use its platform to broaden the reach of the game and make it more appealing and um, bring people into it the viewership does that the reach and and the broadcasting of them of the masters does that but these little things uh these events and the, the avenues to compete at august in whatever capacity and dcp the masters itself um have had a major influence in um, putting golf on young kids' radar to want to pursue the sport that is just so amazingly hard that in this day and age of instant gratification, I think it's really done a lot to keep a lot of young kids uh, intrigued and involved with the game. And I attribute 
a lot of that to the masters and um, what they've done to um, appeal to this next generation of young golfers. While the live PGA split is top of mind, another bifurcation has existential implications for the game. On March 14th, U.S. Golf Association CEO Mike Wan and the Royal and Ancient CEO Martin Slumbers proposed a model local rule that would increase the test speed for golf balls at elite competitions from 120 to 127 miles per hour, which could result in a distance decrease of at least 15 to 20 yards, according to Golf Digest. As they look ahead at how former USGA president and current Augusta National Golf Club chairman Fred Ridley will weigh in on this topic, Lerner, Chambly, and Begay, in that order, give us a taste of what's to come on Live From, discussing Rory McIlroy's desire for his kids to play the same game he plays, Columbia Business School professor Mark Brody's analytical research, and the Formula Oneization of golf. The three experts go deep and trade opinions in this 12-minute segment. He's enormously influential, but uh, I'll, I'll just leave that as sort of an obvious, and I'll make way for Brandon, and then if I feel I have something to add uh, to it. But that, that certainly would be one of the most, if not the most, and, and, and that's saying something because Liv is there, but the most anticipated of all the Monday through Wednesday uh, press conferences would likely be uh, Chairman Ridley for what we anticipate he's going to say about uh, the model local rule and then also what he'll say about Liv. But uh, I'll, I'll step aside for Brandel here. Well, I'd agree with with what Rich said, monumentally in, influential, uh, obviously with his prior ties to the USDA. Uh, and, you know, if you look at these gentlemen that are involved in this and the governing bodies and you look at uh, Augusta National and, you know, they, they certainly have the best interest of the game in mind. And I don't know that anybody is wrong here on either side of this issue. I, I don't think that anybody could clearly say that anybody's wrong. If you're in favor of a rollback, there's reasonable arguments for it. If you're not in favor of it, I think there's reasonable arguments on that side that, you, you know, on one hand, people will say we want to protect the integrity of design. And I certainly understand that. On the other, I would say you want to protect the integrity of the game, which is that it's never been bifurcated. So you can't do one without doing the other. Uh, so, you know, it's a matter of, you know, do you think going forward, I, I listened to Michael Wan the other day on the Michael Breed show, and he talked about, you know, Rory's kids and his kids' kids wanting to play uh, a game that, I think his sentiment was that wasn't dependent upon brute strength or you didn't have to link the golf courses. And I, that, that point resonates with no doubt. But on the other hand, it is nice to think that Rory's kids and his kids' kids might be playing or could, if they wanted to play the same equipment as Rory. So there's two sides of this. Uh, and then at least in my view, and, and again, I said it earlier, there are a few holes in the world where, Look, it's, it's not fun to watch the best players in the world get up on the 12th hole at St. Andrews and drive the green. And those bunkers down there that were such an integral part of that design and so genius and so stupefying as you stand there, and they don't even have to contend with them. I understand that. And unfortunately, they, they can't move that tee back. You know, I, I think there's a, an estuary behind that tee. 
Uh, and that, that is, that is unfortunate. You know, look, I, I make, and, and it's, nobody's suggesting that they'd never go back to St. Andrews again, but there's, you know, there are loads of golf courses that they don't play major championships on and, and they've, they've moved on. Uh, but there are a handful of holes that it is just tough to watch the best players in the world play. But I think it's a very small number of holes and it's a very small number of players uh, that because of the way they play those holes, it, it threatens to undermine what at least I think is one of the most important aspects of the game. And essentially, and I think Mark Brody's research bore this out, what it takes to win hasn't changed. Um, and the influence of power is overestimated uh, in the game. At least that's my takeaway from reading Mark Brody's research, and I tried to read it as unbiasedly as I could. Um, so it's an interesting debate. I've, I've, I've got a lot of friends, and I listen to the governing bodies, and I certainly listen to Chairman Ridley, and I have respect for them. Um, I don't think either side is wrong. Uh, but if they do roll the ball back, it will favor – Statistically speaking, it looks to me like it's just going to favor the longer hitters because effectively it's going to make the golf courses longer. And so that's going to disproportionately war- reward the longer hitters. And, um, you know, my take, I'm, I'm against the rollback um, for a couple of reasons. I, I think not enough credit's been given to the athletes themselves. The percentage of players that can swing over 120 now is much higher than it was 30 years ago. Um, everything that's been put into the evolution of the athlete as well, I I think is being a little bit overlooked here. Um, and it's not solely due to technological improvements in drivers and, and balls, although that does have um, a little bit of impact in, in terms of what the overall outcome is on a particular drive that's hit at 120 miles an hour club head speed, um, precisely like a PJ Tour player can hit it. Um, so, you know, that, that's, you know, sort of my take, you know, from, from the, from the player standpoint, but also from the romantic point of view, I, I think our sport has always been one where the average golfer can, can directly connect with the players that they look up to. We can go the Monday after the world match play and, and you, you know, if you're lucky enough, you can, you know, somebody at Austin Country Club, you, you can play the same course from the same tees. You can use the same equipment. You can um, play in a program if you're lucky enough and get next to uh, somebody whose game you admire. Um, I think there's always been this, this amazing connection between an everyday player and the best golfers in the world that really doesn't exist um, in any other sport. Um, and I think by, you know, rolling these things back and, and separating the two groups, it just sort of, you know, not only will it bifurcate the rules, it'll sort of bifurcate, you know, a lot of, of golfers that, that love putting the same ball in play that, that Rory plays or Tiger plays or using the same driver that these other guys use. Um, because at what point do we stop? I mean, and, and I just think that, we've done enough up to this point to sort of, um, you know, maybe not allow it to increase more, but I don't think we need to roll it back. Right. I mean, they, they, they drew a line in the sand in 2004 
You know, I mean, they, they initially did in 1998. I think they overlooked COR in the early 90s. Like, I don't think they had any idea that the Callaway Big Bertha was, was coming. And they didn't have, I think, the proper diagnostic tools to appropriately measure the COR in that. And so in 1998, they established the COR limit. And then in 2004, they, they, they sort of changed their judgment, changed it to characteristic time. Uh, they put a line in the sand for MOI. I put a line uh, in the sand for the overall distance standard. So from 2004 to now, when you look at that difference in distance, it is too often contributed to technology and not often enough contributed to younger, taller, better athletes who are optimizing their launch angles. Randall, if I could jump in, I, I don't. I don't think the governing bodies are suggesting that it is only the technology. Uh, I, I think they they absolutely acknowledge the work that's been put in with respect to speed training, uh, and, and they're saying that if it continues at this rate, uh, they're just going to run out of land, and that it would be irresponsible. I, I'm paraphrasing yeah. the governing bodies here. It would be irresponsible in their view to kick the can down the road. And if there are small measures that can be taken, why wouldn't you, in order to have a more a, a, a better environmental footprint uh, and and to protect the cathedrals of the sport? I think simply that's what they're saying. Not not <laughs> I don't think they're they're um, overlooking the athleticism. I think they're staring the athleticism right in the face. And and, and I, uh, look. Yeah. So go ahead. And then, but one other point I would say with respect to playing the same equipment, I, I think we I can hold a golf club in my hand and it could be the same make and model, uh, but but I, I would no sooner be playing the same equipment than I would be driving the same Mercedes Benz that that they're they use in Formula One. Uh, I, I think you know that sort of romantic idea. My estimation has been overplayed a little bit. Well, no, the, the Mercedes that you're talking about in Formula One is meant to speed. Uh, the driver that you have is meant to optimize your speed. I don't think that analogy yeah. holds. Um, well, I, I would say that forward that uh, for them to assume the increases in distance that we've seen in golf over the last 40 years with unprecedented leaps and bounds and optimization of equipment, rebound effect, and a solid core golf ball technology with unprecedented leaps and bounds in fitness, I think is, at least in my view, um, not warranted. There are limits to how young players can get on the PGA Tour. There are likely limits to how tall and still be able to play equipment, mm -hmm. especially when they've, they've made the, the distance, the length of a, a driver shaft maxing out 46 yards. So there are physical limits what can be achieved in the game and of course now there are technical limits to what can be built in the game so the idea that the leaps and bounds that we've seen in driving distance uh will continue unabated into the future i i personally think is uh is unfounded uh okay. i just don't see that happen but what i will Add say it. is that what what we have seen is an undoing of improper training in the golf swing so players now are are going back to an era of the 40s, 50s, and 60s as with regard to how they swing the, the club. I mean, the 70s, 80s, 90s 
and 2000s was such an impoverishment of technique that it was mind-blowing. And, and so they're now returning to the more athletic golf swings of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it is, it's like they found the, the recipe for the pyramids again. And all of a sudden, they're building majestic golf swings again. And so they're unleashing the athleticism that had been dormant for four decades. Love it. We likely, I, I know one thing for certain, Brandon, you'll back me up on this. Uh, we are going to be hearing rap, rap. I mean, there's, uh, look, um, there's both rich and points on both sides are going to be on bookending me on, on the set with their, their views of a rollback. Yeah. Well, I no, I mean, I, I'm with you, Brando. I think there are, are excellent, it's nuanced, and there are uh, strong arguments on both sides. I don't think it's black and white. And I think what we haven't really discussed, nor do we have time, and this, but it's enormous, is, is the commercial viability of all of this. I mean, there's just, I mean, uh, I don't have to tell anybody on this call how complicated that part of it uh, could be, would be. Athleticism and technology will shape the future of golf. Putting and mindset decide championships. Begay, Chambly, and Lerner discuss the play of McElroy in his ninth attempt at completing the career Grand Slam with an Augusta win, becoming the sixth man to complete the modern slam. Joining Gene Sarazen, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Jack Nicklaus, and Tiger Woods would be a historic achievement. Chambly says McElroy's stance with the PGA Tour versus Liv is more important to his legacy. If I didn't get a chance to see him play this week, I watched two or three of his matches. Um, I don't think he's putting well enough right now. And now, now he did he put a new putter in play. He did see some signs of life um, in his putting at times. Um, but I think that that's that is going to be the singular key. Everything else, um, from the tee to the green, is is top shelf. There's no question he's playing as good as anybody in those in those key areas. But there were just some key putts in in certain situations um, at critical times in the match that uh, you know he he was and they weren't difficult putts. He just I don't know if he just wasn't quite feeling stroke wasn't feeling right. I know he had changed um the way he was lining up his putts. Uh he was using a line on top of his ball for the first time. And in an effort to, you know, possibly get more athletic when in fact I felt like it made him less athletic. It made him less reactive and it made it a little too mechanical, methodical, whatever however you want to characterize it. But um that's gonna be it. You know, as far as Roy's concerned, he's got to find a little bit of just a little bit of magic in the putter because, you know, as Brandel referenced um, through research, you know, the the core ingredients to winning major events hasn't changed. I know power is what we fixate on because it's fun. Home run hitters we love to watch because they're fun. You know, we could name, you know, the last few home run leaders in in Major League Baseball, but you probably couldn't name who led the league in in uh, batting percentage it's just fun um but uh yeah it'll, it'll it'll come down to uh putting a little bit above his normal average i mean he's at last week he was ranked 175th in in strokes gained putting and he's still eighth in strokes gained total which tells you how how good everything else in this game is 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's reasonable. You know, I I, I thought it was awkward looking to see using a line last week and setting it up and walking around and having to get in and you know readjust the line and and, and so forth. Even though he did putt better last week, he made he would have made dozens of must make in quotation mark putts uh, and and a few late that were absolutely must make. And so the stroke overall looks great. I love the fact that that he went to a blade. I, I've I've seen the data on forgiveness in mallet headed putters versus blade. Of course, you know, on paper mallet wins seven and six. But I like the feel of of a blade. Uh, I think it just plays into um, the intuition of a golfer better. Uh, having said that, I think there's this innumerable, there's a lot of hurdles for him to be able to win the Masters. The first one, I think, is just mental. You know, going up against the best players in the world is one thing, but going up against uh, the history book is another. If you look at his, his first-round scoring average at the Masters prior to him having a chance to win the Grand Slam, 2009-2014, his first round scoring average was under par, significantly under par. And then from 2015 to 2022, in 2015, first time he had a chance to win the career grand slam when he shows up at the Masters. And from that moment to last year, he's averaged over par. Now, 72.4 is his first round scoring average. And historically speaking, if you get off to a poor start at Augusta National at Masters, there's really not much chance of you coming back because the golf course so quickly identifies who's on their game and they just carry on playing great golf. And so, you know, last year he shot 73, the year before 76, the year before 75, the year before 70. These are his first round scores at the Masters. And I attribute that to nothing more than the pressure of trying to complete the career grand slam. So he's got to get over that mental hurdle in round number one. I mean, it could be as simple as, the first round is is more important than the final round. Uh, he's got to get off to a great start, and that's been, at least in my view, purely mental. In that same time period, he's averaged under 70 uh, over the course of uh, his PGA Tour career. So, you know, you can't say enough about the importance of the first round for for uh, Rory McIlroy. And then, look, you know, from a, from a his swing standpoint and how does his swing match up to that golf course, it's not a perfect fit. Uh, not at all. You know, if you look at the players that dominate and have dominated against the national, they are either very upright or they've come over the top of it. And Rory is not upright anymore. He swings much, much flatter and deeper, and he comes almost underneath it. So, and that's why I alluded to earlier, the only player, really great player, that had a chance to win the career Grand Slam that didn't, that didn't complete it because of the Masters, was Lee Trevino. Uh, and Lee Trevino aimed left and pushed. He swung underneath it. And his best finish ever at the Masters was 10th. Mind you, he skipped it in some prime years because he just didn't like the play. So it's not a great fit for Rory on paper. Having said that, he's monumentally talented and you know, can get around these hurdles. But the first round uh, is, is the most important day of the week for Rory next week. I would just jump uh, and and uh, put a button on this and 
with Rory, um, it's always more. Like he was sort of asked to defend the established order, not just win the Open last summer, but defend the established order um, because we pretty much knew Cam Smith was on his way out. Uh, so defend the established order at the open and he couldn't quite do it. Be a hero back home in Northern Ireland, the open in 2019, the weight of that was just a little too much or simply just win another major. And now we're working on almost nine years. So this comes with the territory. When you get to his level, even with as much as he's achieved, you're asked to do what few have ever done. Uh, so no one has as much historically riding as Rory. My hope is, and I say hope because I, you know, we, we are in the story uh, business, uh, root for the great stories, um, is that Rory's uh, better equipped to handle this. Now, this goes to Brandel's point, this sort of the, the, uh, the principal concern would be uh, the mental and emotional strain. I, I, I feel like Rory is a little bit better equipped to handle this. Uh, what with, uh, you know, the, uh, how he's reacted to live, how well he's played. Paul has called him, uh, Paul McGinley knows him very well, called him an inspirational player. He's uh, uh, quite inspired at the moment to kind of carry the mantle for the PGA Tour. Um, so, uh, my sense is he's better equipped, but all that said, uh, Rory is, is still, uh, as, as great as he is, he's still a heartbreaker. Brandel and I were talking about this on Sunday. You know, he was two up with three to play in his match against Cameron Young. And you know, I don't think Rory's uh, alone in this, but he's measured against what Tiger did and how Tiger closed. And no one closes. <laughs> or ever will, likely, like Tiger. And so you're left uh, feeling at times disappointed, as we were uh, at the old course, where he didn't play poorly. He shot 70 in the final round, but he didn't do enough. Uh, he didn't make enough happen. And, um, again, he's won 23 times now, which is a, it's a lot. You know, he's won from uh, Gary Player and Dustin Johnson, the all-time wins list. Uh, so... Um, yeah, he's, he's always asked for more, and I think he's handled it well on the whole. Uh, disappointing in terms of not being able to finish, but just in how he conducts himself, how he handles his, uh, uh, his interviews, uh, transparency, um, honesty. I think that's why he's so well-liked, and there's this, this enormous wellspring of, of support and sentiment uh, for Rory. And, um, you know, that a fun little game to play is what would be the most popular Masters win? Uh, you'd probably start with Tiger, <laughs> uh, would be yet another comeback for all times. And then probably uh, Rory uh, would, would, be, would be next in line. Um, you know, there's a case to be made for, you know, uh, uh, a Jordan Spieth win uh, being super popular. Um, but Rory uh, continues to uh, uh, to fascinate. He's what now 33, and there are you know two ways to look at it. You know, one is he's running out of some time, uh, running out of time here. Um, the the major window is is shorter than people realize. Uh, the other side of it is that Mickelson, if I'm not mistaken, won the first of his six majors beginning at the age of 33. 
Randall can back me up on that, at the age of 33 in 2004. So maybe this is the start of a great, a great run for Rory. His game certainly looks like it's, it's, it's close, if not all the way there. I would just say, real, so at least it's my opinion that yeah. the fact that uh, Tiger Woods and Rory gave NBS of golf the Heisman is one of the best things that's ever happened to golf, and I think mm. it may mm. have saved the tour, but it most certainly protected the integrity of professional golf, which is that this there is uh, it's a sport based upon merit, you know, with mm. like city of Manhattan, a great many bridges to entry, uh, and a star system that, that feeds the development tours uh, and underpinned by philanthropy. So what I would say is that Roy may go on to win the great plan. He may. He may win the Masters and, and be mm-hmm. part of that, that, that group. But I would say what he did in, in, in turning down live and being a voice the future of the PGA Tour and legacy and the merit of professional golf at the highest level is far more important historically to the future of the game than what him winning the Grand Slam would mean to the the record game. No argument there, partner. No argument from me on that. Stay tuned to Golf Channel for more in-depth discussions as Sham Lee will serve as studio analyst this week during the Augusta National Women's Amateur and then join Lerner Begay and others next Monday through Sunday on Golf Central Live from the Masters on Golf Channel. Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes and find us wherever you get podcasts, including Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.